0: morning you can be turning your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 5 that's where we're going to be spending a predominant amount of our time this morning Ephesians chapter 5 if you were to ask me how to get to my house from here I would give you my address and then probably let you know you could put it into your phone and the GPS will get you from here to there in the most efficient what is the best way now, we know, because we live in this area, and a lot of you have been to my house, or certainly know where I live, that although that when you put it into the GPS, you, you get this idea of, hey, it's going to take about 20 minutes to get from here to there, and, and there is a good way to go, there really are thousands of different ways that you could go to get to my house. Lots of different ways that you could go. But when we use something like this, it is indicating what is the best way. Now, what if I were to tell you, what if I were to tell you that even though I have indication of what is the very best way to get from here to my house, I usually go this way. I go north and way around to the east, down to the south, and then come back up to my house, it takes roughly two hours and 45 minutes for me to get from, my, from here to my house. That's the way that I go. Now, if I were to tell you that, and I would do so in all sincerity and seriousness, you would think I was a crazy person you would very quickly say, you should never do that. That makes no sense. It clearly is not the best way to go. It clearly doesn't make any sense. It clearly is unwise. It clearly is foolish. And it is a terrible, terrible decision that you would make to go that way. Now, I think it's something that we would be able to see and understand. I want us this morning, even though this principle that can be applied in a lot of different ways, we're going to apply it in one specific kind of way, but I want us this morning to understand and begin to think that spiritually we go on this red line all the time. Now, spiritually speaking, what God has provided for us in his word It is directives through our life, every capacity of our life, which is from him and which is, because of who he is, the very best way for man, always the best way. You want to know the very best way to work your way through your job or through school, you can go here and God will provide for you the very best way to do that. You want to know how to navigate relationships and how to deal with your friends or your family members or all of us, brethren, here in the Lord's church. God has provided for us the very best way for that to happen. If we are wondering about what God is looking for by way of salvation or by way of worship, he has provided for us the way that he wants us to go. And so when we deviate from that way, it's foolish and unwise and silly for us to do that. And so I want to take that idea And apply it in a specific way today about a specific relationship. And that's the relationship that a husband and a wife have with one another. What God has done for us in his word is he has taken the marriage relationship and he has provided the very best way for that relationship to operate. So that that relationship can be fulfilling. That that relationship can be phenomenal. That that relationship can be satisfying. That that relationship can be effective and productive and joyful. That that relationship can be righteous and good. He's provided all of those things for us. But how often do we choose to go a different way? Unwise and foolish. And instead of reaping the blessings that God has ready for us, we push that aside for destruction in the home. Difficulty in the home. Not joy, but sadness and anger. Not productivity, but difficulty and obstacle. You see, that happens... When we decide, I believe, going home today, I'm going to take the three-and-a-half-hour loop instead of the best way that I know. And so I want us to look for Ephesians chapter 5, and I want us to discover a few things. You know, as I was studying this week, it's interesting to me that in Ephesians chapter 5, we have given to us from the Apostle Paul, as he's writing to these brethren in Ephesus, Christians. That's important. We're going to make that uh, point more here in just a moment. But I think it's interesting that that what he does, and I think we miss it sometimes because we're so quickly to move into verses 22 where he's talking specifics then about wives and husbands, that we sometimes miss right above that in context. What he does is he establishes this massive overarching principle that we need to have under control and understand And then using that huge overarching principle will provide some specifics in certain areas. He does this all over scripture. I'll give you another example of that. Jesus and the gospels will make the point about, listen, you you want to be pleasing to God. You want to be heading in the direction that God wants you to be heading in. You love God with all all of your who you are. You love God with all of your might and all of your heart and all of your mind. You love God with everything and you love your neighbor as yourself. These two massively overarching principles that direct everything for the Christian. Now yet throughout Scripture under those he provides a lot of specific directions with how to love God with all of your heart, what that looks like, how to love others as yourself, specifics about what that looks like. That's what happens in Ephesians chapter 5. You have this huge overarching principle that's set in place, and then you have a few specifics about what that looks like. And I find it interesting here in Ephesians chapter 5. As Aidan read for us in Colossians chapter 3, parallel passages, Ephesians and Colossians, are very similar in their wording in a lot of different ways. But it is what I want us to take note of this morning, the simplicity in instruction. One thing for wives to consider. One thing for husbands to consider. Big things, but simple underneath a principle. So let's first establish that principle. So in Ephesians chapter 5, towards the beginning of that context, I know in verse 22 is where we want to jump into, but let's back up to verse 15. I want you to read with me, beginning of verse 15, and we're going to read down to verse 21, really the setup to this husband and wife discussion, and I want you to be looking for an overarching principle That God is putting in place. If you don't see it, there's a good chance, a really good chance, I'm going to point it out to you. Let's read it together. Ephesians 5, beginning of verse 15. See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Do not be drunk with wine, in which is dissipation but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another in the fear of God. Now, there are a couple of important things that take place here in this context. The setup is where we started with the GPS analogy, where the Apostle Paul is right into these brethren, and he's saying, listen, walk carefully. Walk wisely. Walk with intent. Don't be unwise. Don't be foolish in the way that you walk. You walk with wisdom. And walking with wisdom looks specifically like this. In verse 18, Don't be drunk with wine in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. This is a massive overarching principle that has a lot of things that fall underneath of that. But in a general kind of way, this is what God expects of us. He expects of us to be filled with the Spirit. That means to be constantly controlled by the Spirit in our mind, in our emotions, in our will. It means that my body, it belongs to Christ. And I want us to begin to think, if that is an understanding that I have, that I'm filled with the Spirit, that everything that I am is controlled by God, in the way that I operate, in the way that I think, and the way that I move, and the things that I do, and the things that I say, if all of those things are being controlled by the Spirit of God, the question for you, and it's an easy one, will that make an impact in your relationship as husbands and wives? Do you think that would make an impact? Do you think it would make an impact if the husband, in all that he does, is doing so as he is filled with the Spirit? And do you think that the wife, in all that she is and does, would that make an impact if she was filled with the Spirit? Of course it's going to make an impact. Of course it is. And so you have this massive general theme that God is reminding us, in all that we do, the important thing is I am controlled by God. His will, not mine, but his will, his wants, his desires, his directions, not mine, his. Where do I apply that? I apply that everywhere because I'm filled with If I'm filled with that, it comes out everywhere. And what I love about this passage is he will go on to make the point that when we are filled with the Spirit, joy is a byproduct of that. So, another question Is it difficult to work with, to partner with, to be with someone who is filled with the Spirit and is joyful? Does that have an impact on the relationship between a husband and wife? Someone who is filled with the Spirit and someone who is joyful. Another byproduct given to us here in verse 20. Those filled with the Spirit will be thankful. Would that have an impact? Someone who is truly thankful to God for the other. And if that's how we operate. With the impact of a sincerely grateful person that realizes that our life is enriched because of the other and live a thankful life because of that, does that have an impact on the relationship of the husband and the wife? You see, we, we haven't said one thing about submission. We haven't said one thing about love even. And think about the massive impact on that relationship that we've already discovered and meditated upon. You see, for us, some easy applications this morning is you want to enhance, to enrich, to better your relationship with your spouse, fill yourself up with the Spirit. Fill yourself up with the Spirit be joyful, be thankful. Well, we haven't even gotten to verse 22 yet. Well, we could stand and sing. Now, Tim's like, no, we're not not (laughs) going to do that yet. But we could. Maybe a lot of you are like, let's just do that then. No, we're not going to. But you have these massive overarching principles. But what God does in his love for us and wanting us to go in the right direction, he'll also provide these specifics, and that's what he does. Let's not get fancy with it. It's one thing for the wife, one thing for the husband. Let's take a look at that. Ephesians chapter 5 is where we continue to be, where we continue to study from. Let's look beginning now in verse 22, and we're going to read down through verse 24. He says this, wives, submit to your own husbands. Remember, we, we have set that we have set the principle. Be filled with the spirit, be joyful, be thankful. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is head of the wife, as also Christ is head of the church, and he is the savior of the body. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. And so you have this huge principle, and now you have the specific. How many specifics? One thing. Wives, submit to your own husbands at the end of this Conversation, and we'll read it more here in just a second. Where in verse 33, he kind of goes back and reiterates these two things. He makes the point that the wife sees that she respects her husband. He says, wives, here is something specific for you. Now, you need to be filled with the Spirit. Everybody, We've got to be filled with the Spirit. We need to be joyful. We need to be thankful. Wives, submit to your own husband. And he gives two reasons for that. Number one, the lordship of Christ. It's what Christ has said. It's what Christ has directed, but also the headship of man. But the key component is this picture that God is painting. He is painting the picture of the godly, righteous home. He's writing this to Christians. This is a letter written to Christians, not the world. He's writing a letter to people who are under Christ, who have put Christ on in baptism, who have submitted themselves to him as their Lord. That's who he's writing this to. He uses the analogy of Christ in the church even. That we'll read about here in just a moment. And so he's writing to Christians, and he's writing to them to consider their relationship with God, their relationship with Christ. And because of their relationship with Christ, He says to wives, submit yourself to your husband. Submit yourself to his leadership. But you see, if we do some math this morning, if both the husband and the wife are living and filled with the Spirit and are under the lordship of Christ, that can only equal harmony. That's the equation. We can take a quick sidestep from Ephesians chapter 5 and make the point that that equation works in lots of different ways. It works even right here within the confines of the Lord's church. If I am living and filled with the Spirit and really living under the Lordship of Christ and Tim is filled with the Spirit and he is living under the Lordship of Christ, we will be in harmony. We will be in harmony. Now, when one of us steps out of that in some capacity, now we may have a problem. But the problem comes from stepping out of that. And that same thing goes for the husband and wife relationship. But you see, what God is providing here is his way. And his way are these two folks being filled with the Spirit, submitting themselves to Christ, and for the wife, submitting herself to her husband. So what does that look like? What does that mean? Well, I want you to think about a couple of things, wives specifically. Well, what God is saying is he's saying, listen, you, you need to respect his leadership, your husband's, but you need to accept his role as leader. You need to accept that. And you need to encourage that, and you need to uplift that. Now, the flip side of that is what, here's what that looks like. Don't discourage his leadership or his role as a leader. Encourage his role as a leader. Don't disparage his role as a leader to him, or most certainly, Do not disparage his role as a leader behind him in the company of others. That doesn't help his role as a leader. I I want you to understand, as wives, speaking as a husband and the head of a family, I I want you to understand the weight and seriousness of the responsibility of leading a home is intense. It's intense. It's heavy to be the leader of a home. And so, what we as husbands need is a wife who helps us in that role, who lifts us up in that role, who respects us in that role. It is a heavy responsibility. And for husbands, we need to be feeling the weight of that responsibility because it's serious. We are the head. Does Christ take seriously being head of the church? I believe he does. So we need to take seriously the role of being head of the family. Wives, God directs, support that, lift him up in that role. And so for the wife, submit yourself to your husband. And so for the husbands, beginning in verse 25, listen to what he says Husbands, love your wives. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as the Lord does the church. For we are members of his body, of his flesh and of his bones. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let each one of you in particular... So love his own wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. And so you have this point that Paul will make, husbands, here is your thing, love your wife. So what does that look like? Let's start with the analogy that's used, as Christ loved the church. Is there any question in your mind, any issue any doubt any maybe or ifs or buts in your mind when it comes to christ and his love for the church if i were to ask you does christ love the church what would your answer be your answer would be a resounding yes you may even be offended By being asked a question like that. You may answer it with like, what are you talking about? Of course he loves the church. Why would we answer in such a way? Why would we act in such a way? Because Christ's love for the church is so evident. And it is so big that it simply cannot be missed. And this is the bar that God has set for the husband and his love for the wife. I cannot raise my hand tall enough. If I could jump without embarrassing myself, I would do that, right? If I could climb to the ceiling or indicate in some way how high this bar is for the husband, I would do that. You are to love your wife as Christ loved the church. It is the highest level bar possible is what God has given to the husband. The highest. There is not a higher level of love that God could have given. Another analogy that exemplified this greater, nothing more than what he gave. Husbands, love your wife. Christ and the sacrifice that he made. But think about the example that's given. If a husband makes Christ's love for the church, his pattern, think about what we learn right here in this text. Number one, he will love her sacrificially. right? Or sacrificially, sacrificially. I think I added a different letter in there. Sacrificially, that is a tricky word. Verse 25, husbands love your wife just as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. In the next few verses, 26 and 27, that we are to have a sanctifying love for our wife, that they are set apart, that they are special to us, unique to us. It is a love that is satisfying. You know, it's an interesting point that multiple times throughout Scripture, and it's reiterated right here, that the husband and wife should become one flesh. What an incredible picture, an incredible picture of that idea. When we think about what we've learned here in Ephesians chapter 5, let me give you a few last thoughts of application. You know, it's interesting here in this text that what Paul does is he establishes that be filled with the Spirit, be joyful, be thankful. Wives, submit yourselves to your husbands. Husbands, love your wives. Those are the things that we have in Ephesians 5. Colossians chapter 3 gives it to us in that very simple kind of way. Two verses. One for the wife, one for the husband. Two things. Verse 33 reiterates the entire passage down. Let the wife see that she respects her husband, and the husband love his own wife as himself. And so here's a couple of things that you should consider. Number one, there can be no starvation for love in the Christian home. A husband and wife should be so engaged with each other that their physical, that their emotional, and that their spiritual needs are met in every way. And if that's the case, what temptation would there be to go anywhere else? What temptation would there be? If both a husband and wife are submitted to the Lord and submitted themselves to each other, committed to the Lord, and committed to each other, that relationship will be so satisfying. Why look anywhere else? And that is the picture that's painted for us in Ephesians chapter 5. It is not a faraway hypothetical scenario that is being painted by God here. It is what he expects. It's what he expects the Christian home to be. Not some unattainable, far-reaching kind of thing. It is what he expects. You study Ephesians chapter 5, and you cannot come away with anything less than the understanding that our homes should be a snapshot of Christ's relationship with the church. You closely study his relationship with the church. How serious he takes that. And how serious we should take it. I made mention of this a moment ago, but I want to reiterate it here. So united are the husband and the wife that they are called one flesh. That would make that relationship, that union, closer than any other relationship or union that you would have. That's an important point to have in your mind. Because that relationship between the husband and wife is a more important relationship than you may have with your parents. A more closer relationship that you would even have with your children or anyone else can God have used any other words to illustrate how close this union is, then the two will become one. I don't think there is. This section is closed with this admonition. And so the question becomes, why then do marriages struggle? Why then do marriages fail? Well, we can go back to the very beginning of our lesson in full circle. Marriages struggle or marriages fail when someone or a lot of times both are simply not filled with the Spirit. And if that's the case, there's going to be problems. So that's why I like this picture of the triangle behind me. Because as the husband and wife... Focuses their commitment on God and strives to get closer to Him, they will, in effect, get closer to one another. And that is the picture of what a marriage should be to God. I'll close with this idea. We've said it once before. This is not the unattainable thing out there. Maybe you have a marriage right now and you're thinking this whole time, uh, that's not what my marriage is. I'm struggling. That's not what my marriage is all about. We're struggling. And you hear a lesson like this and you're thinking, I, I, w- we would never be able to get to that perfect picture of bliss that you've just painted. That's an unattainable scenario for me. I want to encourage you with the idea that it isn't unattainable. It isn't a hypothetical. It is an expectation from God. And you can immediately, you can today make steps to turn a struggling marriage into a joyful, thankful, and productive, beautiful thing that God has created it to be. You focus on him. You focus on one another. And it'll be just what God intended for it to be. We've talked over the last several weeks already about our commitment to God. And this certainly falls under that. Our theme for this trimester, Committed Christianity... And certainly that bodes for the husband and wife, committing themselves to God, committing themselves to one another. It's a beautiful picture of a most important relationship. And I ask that you consider the things that we've talked about this morning. Meditate upon them, what God has outlined for us here in Ephesians chapter 5. Well, Tim is going to lead us in a song of invitation. It gives us an opportunity to be thinking about our relationship with God. We talked a little bit about that already this morning. And our relationship with our spouses as husbands and wives is the most serious of relationships. But it is our relationship with God that drives everything. And ultimately, it is our relationship with God that will matter eternally. And so if you're here this morning and your relationship with God is, is not where it needs to be, maybe you're here this morning and, and you don't even have a relationship with God, we'd love to sit down and talk to you about that. We'd like to be able to help you about that. Maybe you've got questions about that. We would love to talk to you about that. Maybe you're here this morning and you know that your sin separates you from God. That's what's withholding you from having a relationship with Him. And you may know this morning your sin needs to be washed away in the waters of baptism. We can help with that this morning. Or maybe you've just simply walked away from God. There's no better time than to walk back. Maybe we can help with that. If we can in any of those ways, let us know as we stand and sing.